0: prayerlessness, wrong motives, lack of surrender to the will of God, doubt and unbelief, unconfessed sin, and pretense are all hindrances to prayer. Praying rightly and effectively takes work. Oswald Chambers describes prayer as work. He wrote, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is not a thoughtless, effortless moment in time where we say a few words that come to mind. Rather, it is a thoughtful and intentional activity, one in which we encounter God. Today's podcast is part two of the series, Hindrances to Prayer. Listen prayerfully to the Word of God speak as Pastor Lee shares three more things that hinder our prayers. We have looked at several different verses in the book of James. Uh, To help us understand some of what the Bible teaches about hindrances to prayer. Now, as you find your way to James chapter 5, I just want to remind us this morning that prayer is made possible by Jesus Christ. (laughs) That it is because of the blood that He shed on Calvary's cross, Uh, it is on the basis of His death, burial, and resurrection that we now can come into the presence of God the Father. Uh, We we could not do that apart from Jesus. Not only is he a way maker, he is the way. Uh, The Bible tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, no one comes, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. No one comes to the Father for salvation. In any other way except through Jesus. No one comes to talk to the Father in prayer any other way except through Jesus and he is according to Hebrews our high priest our mediator the one who sits at the right hand of God who ever liveth to make intercession for us and so it's important as we talk about prayer that we understand the the, that it is uh, centered in the effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How how the gospel works in us and on our behalf in reference to God. And so this morning I want us to go back to this idea of hindrances to prayer. And I want to start with a quote by Saint Ignatius, or it has been attributed to him, others have used it throughout the years who was a priest in the 1500s. And uh, he said, Pray as if everything depends on God, and work as if everything depends on you. Now that really has been one of those motivating quotes for me for many years. But I just want you to think about that for a moment. Pray as if everything depends on God. What would happen If we prayed, what what would happen if the church prayed like everything depends on God? Here's an example from scripture of what might happen. It's the passage I've had you turn to this morning. James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful, he should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick, he should call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. If we prayed... as if everything depended on God, I think we would see something like what we've just read about. What did we just read? Well, suffering is relieved. Healing is provided. Forgiveness is given. Power of God is on display, is on demonstration. And prayer is being answered. Now, we may not be able to pray and see it rain or not rain, we might. That's not the point there. The point is that somebody just like you prayed and that happened. That's the point. The prayer of a righteous man is very powerful in its effect. We want to be men and women of God whose prayers are very powerful in their effect. And the Bible does say that Elijah was a human being, just like us. And he prayed. Now God was doing something in those days in the land and through the prophet Elijah when it came to the famine and to the to the to the land and to the rain, something very unique that he was accomplishing there. But the Bible is very much so pointed at this point. Uh there's no reason for the Holy Spirit to say he was a man just like us. Except, God wants you to know he was a man just like us and God heard his prayers and answered his prayers. That's good stuff. You
1: can smile. That's good.
0: Now, in order for us to be men and women whose prayers are very powerful in their effect, we've got to make prayer a priority in our lives, in our churches. We've got to take it seriously enough to try and understand what, what might be in our lives that would hinder us. We started doing some of that last week. What the Bible identifies as hindrances to prayer. Last week we identified three. Prayerlessness. Remember the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. Wrong motives. You don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. What motives would that be? That would be selfish motives. And then number three was lack of surrender to the will of God. This morning, we're going to identify three more hindrances to prayer. And the first one comes from the first chapter of James. Again, I'm just amazed uh, as I began to put this together, I thought that maybe we'd be in a whole bunch of different verses searching down those things that are hindrances to prayer. And they are mentioned in other places, but almost all of them are found right here in the book of James. Um, I'll share one at the end that's in Matthew Uh, As we think about prayer. But the first one is in chapter 1. Verses 5 through 8. and, And that is this. Doubt and unbelief. Another one of the hindrances to prayer. Is doubt and unbelief. Chapter 1. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom. Let him ask of God. Who gives to all. Liberally. And without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now this is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It's actually impacted my prayer life for many years because... I know that I need the wisdom of God in my life. And there's a promise there that if we ask in faith, He gives liberally, freely wisdom to those who will ask. But one of the things I want you to notice about these verses is that praying and believing go hand in hand, they're two sides of the same coin now when we talk about praying and believing here's what we're not talking about we're not talking about believing that you will get what you've asked for some people think that I'll pray and man I'll just believe that I'm going to get it and it will come we're not talking about believing in what you've prayed for we're not Praying, Uh, we're we're not saying that we're to believe that we're going to have our prayer answered exactly like we desire. And it's not believing
1: in the power of prayer.
0: If I were to say prayer is very powerful, what would you say? Come on now, don't be scared. Amen. Prayer, we would say But but if we backed up from that, we could also say, it is the God to whom we pray that is powerful. Right? And so, so we're we're not counting on the power of prayer, we're counting on the power of God when we pray. It's believing in our God who answers prayer. It's belief In God, without doubting, praying in and of itself is, true praying, is an act of faith. It it is an act of faith on our part to talk to the one whom we can't see but believe in. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now you've heard me say that there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray as we've been covering prayer for months now. But if you still don't believe that, listen to what these verses say again. There's a phrase in here that should get our attention. It says, Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Who's that? That's the man that prayed and asked.
1: Why wouldn't
0: that man receive anything from the Lord? Because he has a heart of doubt and unbelief. And the scripture clearly points out that that's a hindrance to to prayer. You may remember a story in Matthew chapter 17 where Peter, John had gone up on the mount of what we know as transfiguration with Jesus and had an awesome spiritual experience there. When they came back down from the mountaintop into the valley, they encountered a man and his son. And the son was demon-possessed. The disciples that did not go up on the mountain were there too. And they had been trying to cast the demon out. But they had been unsuccessful. And when Jesus comes down and the the man um, brings his son to Jesus, here's what uh, we'll pick up in the story in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 17. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, so Jesus cast the demon out. But then afterwards they come to Jesus privately and say, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Now he, did, he wasn't saying that they weren't saved or that they weren't right with him in some way. He was saying that, that there was a lack of faith. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. While faith is necessary, it's a necessary ingredient for prayer to be powerful in its effect, it is not about the quantity of faith. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's about the quality of faith. It's not about whether or not you have more faith than someone else. How do we know that? Because Jesus himself says, a mustard seed. A mustard seed. That wouldn't be talking about quantity or something big or a lot. It would be talking about something that is genuine and something that is real. That's how Faith is measured. I want to ask you something this morning. Are you praying with a heart full of belief? Not belief in miracles. Not belief in the act. Belief in the act of prayer itself. But as the Book of Hebrews taught us earlier, do you believe that He is? and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's about a relationship. And so we see in Scripture that doubt and unbelief in God is another hindrance to prayer. The next one we find is in James. Again, uh, we can begin there. Back in the passage we began with, James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, it is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Verses 15 and 16, The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. To who? Oh, I'm out on that one. What about you? To one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect now we're not we're not going to take the time to expound on every uh, meaning of every word in this text. There's a lot of good stuff there. But here's what we're doing. We're simply demonstrating from Scripture how confession of sin is directly related to effectiveness in prayer. You can't read this passage about healing and divorce the idea of confession of sin from it. It's all wrapped up in it. It is the confession of sin to one another, the Bible is saying here, that leads to, to this prayer of faith for healing being effective. And so, for instance, if we were to go and pray for somebody, now, God heals. We don't heal. And He heals at His discretion. We know that. But we still ask for Him to bring healing into people's lives. Here's one thing I know from this text. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life, that prayer's not going to work.
1: That's what it says.
0: It comes back, he, remember here he says um, the prayer of a righteous person. Not a self-righteous person, but a righteous person whom God has worked in, who, who, who is walking faithfully with the Lord, seeking the Spirit of God to move in their lives. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In the CSB it says it this way, If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It is evident that sin creates a barrier between us and God. Now, in the believer's life, it doesn't cause us to lose our relationship with God, but it certainly breaks our intimate fellowship with Him, and it leads to unanswered prayer. I mean, you know, I'm not that old, but I've been around a while, and I recognize the fact that sometimes in our churches and sometimes with God's people, we feel like we can live however we want and say whatever we want and expect god to come at our beck and call and yet scripture here is really bearing down on the idea that there are there are there can be problems in our prayer life there are things that hinder us from being able to commune with god from being able to communicate with god and for to be able to see god working through prayer that James describes as powerful and effective. Sin impacts every area of our lives, so it's no surprise that it would hinder our prayers. I've I've mentioned this to you, and I like using it, so I I, I doubt you remember it all, but but you may recall me using this before. There's a book that Dr. Adrian Rogers wrote called "What Every Christian Ought to Know," and in there, there's a chapter that said uh, that's about. Uh, how every Christian ought to know what happens when you sin. And he uses Psalm 51 where David uh, is confessing his sin. Let me just give you a quick list of the results of sin. Sin, these can fi- be found in each of the verses there. Sin dirties the soul. It dominates the mind. It disgraces the Lord. It depresses the heart. It diseases the body. It defiles the spirit. It destroys the testimony. And here's what I would add. It dismantles the prayer life. It dismantles the prayer life. Another example of this from Scripture, another example of this truth we've covered uh, while we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. At the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, that's a, that's, a, that's a convicting verse. Right? But here's what you have to know to interpret that. Unforgiveness in my heart, unforgiveness in your heart is a sin. And this is why Matthew's Gospel says that under these conditions your Father will not forgive your trespasses. Because you're harboring sin in your life. Because you're harboring the sin of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a sin that needs to be confessed and repented of, but it is only one, one example of sin that hinders our prayers.
1: What sin is in your life today that's hindering your prayers? that's causing your prayer life to be powerless
0: and ineffective. The reason I ask questions like that is because I don't want to come here on Sunday mornings and just give you a bunch of information. I want to share something with you that brings about transformation. And in order for that to happen, we've got to ask the right questions and we've got to answer them the right ways and we've got to respond to God. The last one for today is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. So we're moving to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and it has to do with pretense. Another one of the hindrances to prayer is pretense. In Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, it says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. Now, uh, this next verse, he he makes a contrast with standing on the street corners. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, it's interesting here, What we know is not being said is that you shouldn't pray out loud or you shouldn't pray in church. That's not what this verse says. It's saying, rather than standing up to pray to be heard by everybody else, you should go in your closet. That's the contrast. The hindrance here has to do with being honest with ourselves, with others, and with God by not pretending to be someone we are not. And sometimes the best way for us to pretend to be more spiritual than we really are is when we're praying out loud in front of each other. It's easy to mislead people by saying certain things about you or your life when you pray. He, he specifically says here, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And we know that in Greek plays that they would use masks and they would pretend to be somebody by putting on an actual mask that they were not. Now in these verses where it talks about standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, it, it specifically says in order to be seen by people. So they're praying to impress others, to be heard by others. Heard a story one time about a, a church uh, where they would have a, a, an altar call and people would come to pray and, and this one man would come to pray and uh, almost every Sunday you could hear him praying about his sins in his life and he would say, uh, Lord, remove the cobwebs from my mind. And people could hear him. He said, Lord, remove the cobwebs. Almost every Sunday, remove the cobwebs from my mind. Finally, one Sunday, somebody stood up and said, Lord, don't just remove the cobwebs. Kill the spider. Sometimes it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves. Even though we're in the presence of God. Honest with ourselves about ourselves even when we're in the presence of God. For these Pharisees, it was more uh, for show, and it lacked sincerity and integrity. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, there's a story, verses 9 through 14, uh, about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that story? They go in the temple to pray. And again, the Bible here is giving us a contrast between the two. Uh, The Pharisee, who should have been the the religious righteous person, and the tax collector, who was the sinner, right? I mean, they were known as sinners. In fact, they're grouped together, tax collectors and sinners in the Bible. So they go in to pray, and they pray two different ways. And the Pharisee prays exactly like what Matthew's gospel describes. The, the, The scripture says, "...he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves," that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. That's not That sounds terrible, but that's not hard for us to do. I mean, there's a lot of people
1: I can think of that I'm glad I'm not like.
0: And if you're honest... You might say the same thing. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers. I'm not like those people committing adultery. I'm a good church-going person.
1: Or even like this tax
0: collector. I'm not like that one that's on the other side of the building this morning. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. Now, there's where the bragging comes in. That'd be like me leading us in prayer and say, Lord, I know everybody here probably doesn't tithe, but I do, Lord. That's what that'd be like. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying God have mercy on me a sinner. I tell you this one I tell you this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Whenever we are dishonest with ourselves, dishonest with others, dishonest with God, when we pretend to be someone that we are not, our prayers are not real. That's what this is telling us. They're just as fake as they can be. They are pretentious. They are pretend. They lack integrity and are not rewarded with answers. So, uh, there's three more. That's six on our list now. Here's here's what we've learned in this two-part series already and, and one more coming next week. Prayerlessness, wrong motives, lack of surrender to the will of God, doubt and unbelief, unconfessed sin and pretense are all hindrances to prayer. Man, you didn't know prayer was that complicated, did you? That's kind of, I I back up from it when I'm studying. I'm like, man, there's so much more to prayer than... The truth is that these are challenges over which we are to achieve victory. These are obstacles that we are to overcome. These are problems for us to resolve and turn into opportunities because these hindrances lead to a very impotent prayer life, which is, I would say,
1: one of the most important things that you can develop as a believer in Jesus Christ. Praying
0: rightly and effectively takes work. We we would like for everything in the Christian life just to kind of happen naturally, but it doesn't. In fact, um, Oswald Chambers, you've heard, heard this quote before maybe, prayer said prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer takes work. It's not a, a thoughtless, effortless moment in time where we say a few words that come to mind and pass God on by. Rather, it is a thoughtful and intentional activity, one in which we encounter God. Prayer requires listening to God and thinking about what He is saying to us. Praying effectively takes time and effort. And the truth is that we will never Do anything of greater importance in our entire lives than pray. I want you to think about that. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you this morning. There is
1: not one thing on earth that you'll ever do that is of greater consequence than pray.
0: when when you really begin to understand what what prayer is and how it impacts all of life and other people's lives too. There's a lot of things we put on that list uh, uh, that are important for us to do as, as believers. And prayer normally falls in there somewhere.
1: But I want to say to you that everything else on the list lacks power and lacks
0: effectiveness when it has not been prayed for.
1: Everything we do, everything we say is made effective by God when we pray.
0: Witnessing, attending church faithfully, giving, reading your bible what you don't understand your bible unless
1: you're talking to god prayer
0: there is nothing else greater that you will ever do in your lifetime than to talk to god and listen Thank you for listening to The Word of God Speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode.